0: Uh, Well, as I said before, my name is Chris. If you snuck in late or if you weren't uh, paying attention, that's cool. Uh, My name's still Chris. Uh, We're really excited to have you here with us tonight uh, as we launch a brand new four-part series that we're going to be doing or going to be looking at called Normal Isn't Working. Uh, If you're new to church or you're new to beyond, the way we like to do things is we like to Pull things apart in in series. So we'll camp out an idea or a topic or a theme and we'll sit out on it for a number of weeks and we'll we'll talk and have discussions around that. And because this whole idea is, is, um, the series is based around this idea that normal isn't working, I thought that uh, in order to, you know, the way we normally do things, I thought I would do something that we've never done. So you are here, if you're here tonight for the first time, this is a beyond first uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to have a little bit of show and tell. Now, in case you haven't been in preschool in the last like five or so years, I'll let you know how show-and-tell works. It's where I show you something, and then I tell you about it. And I was pretty excited about this, I've got it out the back, so just wait there. Uh, this could really go one of two ways. It could either go really, really good, or it could go really, really bad. Uh, it will go well uh, if I'm coordinated, it will go bad if I'm not coordinated. So we'll give it a, we'll give it a crack, it's a little bit dicey here, but... There's a ramp. Oh no, there's a wall there. Okay. This is my bike. Whoa, the brakes are not working. But this is my bike. I wanted to show you and I wanted to tell you about my bike because I like my bike. And the slower you go, the harder it is to control it. I didn't have the front brake turned down. That's why I nearly ran. But I wanted to tell you about this bike and I wanted to tell you specifically about a certain aspect of the bike. Uh, And and I'm not very mechanical, I don't know heaps about bikes, but I know a little bit about uh, the drivetrain of the bike. And if you don't know much about the drivetrain, or you don't know much about bikes, or you think I'm using technical terms, really all it is is the chain. The chain and everything sitting down around this area here and around this area here. Now there's two things that you need to know about the drivetrain of the bike. Up this end of the bike, there's two big, there's two rings. One is your big ring. And that's for when you go along the flats or maybe uh, you're trying to go fast. So you click the, uh, the bike into the big ring that helps gives you a bit of speed. Then there's inside that, there's a smaller ring uh, which will help you if you're kind of cl- going up climbs. If you come to a, a little hilly section or maybe just like me, uh, if, you're, if you're a bit tired and you're not very good, you need to click down into the low gear because your legs are starting to hurt. And then on the back end of the bike, there's kind of like the gears... And you can think of these gears as similar to gears you would have in a car. For example, if you're going along a flat, you can click up and it'll make it harder to pedal, but you'll be able to go faster. If you're cruising along uh, maybe up a hill and uh, you, need, you need a little bit of slack, you can click it down lower and it makes it easier to rotate the pedals. Now, some of you are probably wondering, why does he have a bike in church? Why is he riding? What kind of church is this? You know, what, what is going on that he's got a bike here? And why is it important? Why is he telling me about the drivetrain of his bike? Like, I'm not athletic. Like, uh, you know, I'm never ever going to ride a bike. When am I going to need to know about this? And I'm telling you this uh, because it's important to know what kind of gears you have and how to be able to use your gears. So in cycling uh, terms, there's a, there's a thing, uh, well, it's a term for when, when you're riding, the amount of times that you turn the pedals around in a minute. That's not going to work. And when you're riding, I'll give you a demonstration. You turn the pedals around, and when they go the amount of times that they go around in a minute is called your revolutions per minute. Now, there is an optimal level of revolutions per minute, and it's somewhere between 80 and 110 revolutions per minute. It varies from cyclist to cyclist a little bit, but overall, science has told us that the average revolution to be of functioning at your optimal efficiency is between 80 and 110. Revolutions per minute. Now, the reason I'm telling you all about this is because when you get on a bike and you need to learn your gears, and um, there's two things that you need to be aware of so that you can pedal at your optimal efficiency. So that you can always be pedaling around 80 and 110 revolutions per minute. The first thing that you need to know to be able to pedal at your optimal efficiency is that you have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to know what's going on in your surroundings and you have to be. Uh, aware of what's coming up and what could possibly change that'll come up in a second Um, because if you're cruising around so when your surroundings are about to change you need to know how to work your gears for example if you're cruising along you're in the big chain ring uh, you're in a big gear and you're cranking it along that uh, that might be optimally efficient for going along a flat but you need to be aware that there's a mountain coming up You need to be aware that the road in front of you is about to change, and so you need to change your gears accordingly so that when you start to climb, you're in a gear that is optimally efficient to help you climb. The second reason uh, that you're going to need to learn how to operate your gears is because your optimal efficiency is not the same as someone else's optimal efficiency. Your optimal efficiency is your optimal efficiency not anyone else's. Uh, last weekend or a couple of weekends ago, I, was, um, I did a little bit of a ride and I was climbing up uh, Mount Kutha. Um I know it sounds as bad of an idea uh, as it actually was but when I was climbing up it, uh, there, was, there was quite a, a number of us and, and um, let's be honest, I'm just not a very good rider but I'll tell you, I, I was tired, I didn't have a lot of sleep, I was hurting and so in my mind, the one thing going around in my head was just keep in your optimal efficiency it doesn't matter what kind of gear you're running, you know, just keep in your optimal efficiency, keep spinning. There was someone else on the climb and it wasn't until about the fifth time that this guy passed our group and then we passed him, that you could actually see an example of someone who was not pedaling in their optimal efficiency. And what happens is when you don't pedal in your optimal efficiency, you start to move through life in spits and spurts. See, this guy, I don't know what was causing him to do it or why he'd made the decision that he did, but he was trying to go up the mountain in, in, a, uh, in a gear that was definitely not his optimal efficiency. And so what, what would result, uh, what would happen is, is that he'd get up on the pedals, and for 10 or 15 meters, he would put a whole heap of power through the pedals, but what would happen is he'd hit the red zone really, really quickly. It wasn't his optimal efficiency. And then he'd slow right down to a crawl catch his breath, sit there, trying to catch his breath and then he would get up and he would give it another effort and he was just thrashing it and, and every so often, you know, he would push past us and then our group was just ticking over, would go past him again and then he'd get another burst of energy and he'd keep going and eventually he ended up falling off the back because there's only so long you can sustain the limit of your optimal efficiency. There's only so long you can live continually pushing into the red zone and then trying to have a quick breather. And... For some of us, this is our life. We go through our lives and we're not aware of the surroundings or the seasons of life that we're about to approach. We're not aware when we're taking a new job that that's going to require more time and so I'm going to have to change gears in my life, I'm going to have to create some more space so that I can pedal at an optimal efficiency. For some of us, we don't, uh, we don't take stock of our surroundings when we're entering into a new, like, new relationships when we take on extra financial pressure and we don't take stock and so we don't create room in our lives to to operate at an optimal efficiency. Maybe for some of you, you look around at other people in your life and you say, well, that person does this, that person handles their finances that way, that person spends their time that way, this is how this person goes about their relationships and then so you dictate your optimal efficiency based on the way that someone else lives their life. But your optimal efficiency is not anyone else's optimal efficiency. So what we're going to talk about for four weeks is we're going to set the scene tonight and we want to unpack this idea of normal and the idea that normal is not working. So we need to create a new normal. And so I've given a definition that we're going to run with um, over the course of this series. And so normal is, in other words, not not what you do now, maybe maybe you do do it now, but if you do do it, then you should be up here giving the talk and that's cool, you can come up and do it. Normal, and what we want to achieve from this is we want to create a cadence of life. So in other words, your revolutions per minute, cyclists refer to that as a cadence, mainly so they don't have to say revolutions per minute all the time. That's a mouthful. So a cadence of life that can be sustained. A cadence, not, not a cadence that you can do for a day, not one you can do for a week, not one you can do for a month or a year, but one that can be sustained throughout the course of your life in order for you to be able to operate at optimal efficiency. So the thing about cycles is when you operate at optimal efficiency, you can go all day. Then you can go to bed and then you can get up and you can do it again. And you can go again because you're not pushing into your red zone. And, and we want you to be able to go through your life at a cadence that allows you to function at your optimal efficiency. And maybe for you, you know, you, you're kind of already pushing back against this idea. I understand, you're probably arguing with yourself in your head with me as I'm going along. Maybe you're like wrestling, you're like, but Chris, hang on, I, I get it. But, but everyone else, everyone else is stressed out all the time. But everyone else lives on the edge of their financial margins. Everyone else's relationship suffers. You know, everyone works big hours. All you've done by doing that is show that there's a lot of people whose normal isn't working. And so what I want to do, if, if maybe you're really pushing back against it, maybe you're challenging it, maybe for you, you have operated at a suboptimal level of efficiency for so long that you don't know what life would look like if, you were actually, uh, if life was actually normal. You can't remember the last time that you operated at a cadence of life that allowed you some breathing room, right. that allowed you some space. So here's three hints or three kind of ideas for you to wrestle with that, you might, be, that might tell you that your normal isn't working. First one is, if your normal isn't working, the stress levels in your life go up. The stress levels go through the roof. You know, it's, everything's always a time crunch. Everything's always a financial crunch. Everything's always a burden. And you just become really, really stressed about whatever it is or whatever area of your life that isn't working. The second uh, hint is that your focus narrows. And oftentimes your focus will narrow in an unhealthy way. Now, It's okay to be focused at work. There are areas of our lives, there are portions of our life where we need to be focused. But your focus narrows in an unhealthy way when your normal isn't working. And people in your life are able to tell when your focus narrows because you become one of those people who no matter what the topic of conversation, no matter what's going on, you always bring the conversation back to your area of stress. You know, someone's talking about a beautiful waterfall and somehow you link it back to pressures at work. You know, someone's talking about how much they enjoy the bread that's going on or the meal that you're sharing together and you link it back to the financial pressures that are going on at home and our focus narrows in an unhealthy way. The third hint that maybe your normal isn't working is that your relationships begin to suffer. When you are so time poor, when you over schedule anything, that you don't have time for your relationships your friends start to wonder whether you really care about them. Your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife begin to suffer as a result of your normal that isn't working. You fight and you bicker in the relationship because every conversation revolves around money. You know, where are we going to go for our, or are we going to go on a holiday? We don't have enough money. And so you always turn everything into an argument because of the stress, because the stress level's up, your focus narrows, and then as a result, that pours into your relationships and your relationships uh, begin to suffer. And like I said before, still probably arguing in your head, you're probably getting really frustrated. I mean, that's normal for everyone, Chris. I understand, I understand, but as we begin to unpack this idea over the next three weeks, I want to start tonight to get you to think about the number one, or probably one of, if not the number one, definitely in the top two or three of the the biggest motivating factors that drives your behavior. The biggest motivating factor that actually drives you to a place where normal isn't working for you anymore. Uh, Something that drives you to a place where your relationships suffer and your focus narrows. And that is fear. And maybe you're kind of like, come on. Chances are, if, you, if you're in a stage in your life or you've ever been in a stage of your life where normal isn't working, if you have uh, friends or family, they, they might have addressed it with you. And chances are that the way you responded might have been something like, well, look, I know I have issues, I, I know that that's a stress, but, but I'm afraid that if I change, I'm afraid that if I change that my boss won't think I'm working hard enough and I won't get the promotion that I need. I'm afraid that, that if I change, then, then, you know, my co-workers will look down on me. I'm afraid that if I change, then, then I won't have the expensive clothes. And so people will think that I'm, I don't make the, the amount of money that I pretend and the, the amount of money that I exude or pretend to exude. We have this fear which drives our behavior and drives us to a point where normal isn't working. Maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a fear of missing out. Your behavior is driven and you're pushed to the limit of normal isn't working because what if I miss out on this opportunity? What if I don't go and the boss doesn't see me? Or what if I don't go and I don't get to make the purchase that I need to? Or what if I don't make this appointment in and schedule it in and it turns, to be, it turns out to be the big deal that I get that just sets us up for life? Maybe for some of you, you're afraid of falling behind. If I, if I don't spend this money, then, then we're going to be one step further behind. If I, don't, if I don't put the deposit down on this home loan, you know, I had this goal in my head of 25 is when I want to own a house. If I don't do it, then I probably won't do it till I'm 26 or, or 27. Maybe for you, it, it's not a fear of falling behind, but, but maybe for you, it's a fear of not mattering. For whatever reason it is in your mind, you've got to work that 16 hour day, you've got to work that 12 hour day because in your mind, if you don't hit your KPIs, if you don't have the, the bank balance, if you don't have the schedule that's full to tell everyone that you're too busy to hang out or that you're important because you feel that you know filling up your calendar makes you feel important, maybe that's a fear of not mattering. And if we're, if we're really not careful, our fear of not mattering has the potential to drag us away from what matters most in life. Your fear of not mattering, my fear of not mattering, has the potential to pull us away from what matters most in life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, um, with this series, you really have no option, Uh, I'm just going to be honest, you really have no option but to begin to think about the normal that you've considered and the idea that it isn't working and begin to take some steps to create a normal that actually works. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, then you, don't, you get a free pass. You don't have to do anything. In fact, for the next, uh, if you choose to come back for the, next, for the next four weeks, you can actually just take this as four motivational speeches on how you can improve your life on a normal that isn't working. I'm totally okay with that. But chances are that one of the reasons maybe you push back against church or one of the reasons that you don't go to church or maybe you used to go and now you don't go is because in your mind... God, or this God that that we follow, is a God of rules. That this God sets up all these rules, sets up all these commandments, and then He sits there, waits for you to break it, and then He smites you, or He laughs at you, and He makes fun of you. He's a God who judges harshly. Well, I want to let you know that that's not the God we worship uh, here at Beyond. In fact, most church people might not know this, but when God began to... uh, when God talked about the rules and the commandments and the way of living that he set up for his people. He actually did so because the normal that they were working with wasn't working. The Israelite people, that's uh, the people that God chose, God's nation, the Israelite people were actually under slavery for decades. And slavery lifestyle is very different to any lifestyle that you and I have probably experienced in life. And we might, you think you work hard. When you're a slave, you work all day, every day when you're a slave in ancient Egypt, some of the harshest slave masters that history has ever known, if you're sick, you keep working. Because if you're sick under, under the rule of the ancient Egyptians, you get pushed to the side, you don't get medical attention, you don't get fed, because they don't want to raise resources on someone that eventually will fall and eventually will die. So they figure, well, let's just do it quickly. And so God eventually you know, rescues his people from slavery. And he starts and he starts to give them some r- laws and some rules and a way of living that addresses the normality that they've experienced for decades and decades and decades. Because the Israelites had lived in a suboptimal level of uh, of efficiency for decades. And God goes, "Hey, the normal that you know isn't working, and I need to give you a new normal." And a couple of the um, the normals that uh, that God uh, gives, and a couple of the, the laws that God talks about. Uh, Uh, The first one is the Sabbath. Um, This actually made the list of the top 10, Uh, the Sabbath. um, Who wouldn't love a God who says, guys, just take a day off. You don't have to work, take a day off. And I know we might look at that and we go, Westerners, we get two days off. But in this culture, in that day and age, to have a day off, not not only was unheard of, but it impacted their livelihood. In an age where refrigeration wasn't a big deal, uh, in an age where you know it counted that you worked every second to get as much crops in, to get as much money as you could, to, to have your livelihood, that was a big deal to take a day off. But God said, "Thou shalt have a day of offeth," and so that was worked in. I'm so glad you laughed at that. Um, and that was worked in to uh, to this new way of living. And then one of the other one of the other ways of living is God said is God instituted a tithe. Now don't. If you don't know what a tithe is, um, it's to do with money, but don't worry, I'm not going to ask you for any money. But what they do, uh, what they used to do with a tithe, it was a visual reminder for the ancient Israelites that they couldn't live off all the financial resources that came in. In fact, they wouldn't just tithe their money. So what they would do is they would take 10 or 15 or 20% of their income and they would put it in a box and then they would give it back to the community. And they didn't do that just with their money, they did it with their spices and with their grain and with their cattle and with, with what, everything they had. But the money box was particularly important because it lived in the house. And so children growing up from a young age actually saw money come into the house that was never going to be used in the household. It created a sense of financial margin that said just because we make all this doesn't mean we have to spend it. And then the final one, one of the, the third one that kind of stuck out to me is what we're going to look at tonight. It's called the Law of Gleaning. And we're going to pick this up. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, feel free to um, flick to them or get your smartphones out. Or uh, maybe if you want to uh, look busy, um, you can get on Instagram now uh, and ignore the rest of it. But in Leviticus 19 verse 9, it talks about this Law of Gleaning. And this is what it says. When you harvest the crops of your land... Do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Now you can imagine speaking this into a slave culture that has worked all, all day, every day. Their first reaction is, but, but what if we don't have enough food? What if a famine happens and we haven't stored up all the extra stuff? You know, you know, what, if, what if we don't have enough to feed our family? What if we don't get enough money when we take it to markets? You know, they were afraid that if they left the margin, that they didn't have enough time, that they were going to miss out on something. And then it goes on. It says it, it is the same way with your grape crops. In other words, if you thought you could just do it with your wheat and, and then you're going to harvest all the other crops, no, this is, this is a thing that has to go across your entire life. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. So what's what's God trying to do is say, you need to have some margin. You need to have some breathing room. And then he finishes off with this really bizarre phrase, which, which we as, as Westerners in the 21st century, we don't really get it that well. But he finishes off and he says, I am the Lord your God. And a lot of us hear that, and particularly if you don't go to church, you might hear that and you go, see, I told you, he's all about the rules. He's all about the laws. He's all about getting us to do something. But in that culture, all God was saying is, you can choose to do this if, if you want to, but I'm the Lord your God, do you trust me that the the new normal that I'm setting up with breathing room, with margin, do you trust me that I'm going to provide for you? Do you trust me that what I'm saying and what I'm, the way of life, the new normal that I'm giving you is one that's actually going to work? In fact, he says it a different way in the book of Deuteronomy, he says this, he says, when you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans and widows. And then this is what comes as a result of trusting God. He said, then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. In other words, what God is saying is, when you create margin in your life, when you understand that your normal isn't working and you can begin to trust me in the laws and the rules and the way of living that I set up, you will see that I'm not actually trying to take anything from you. I'm not trying to take control. I'm trying to give you something. I'm trying to bless you and I want you to trust me in the gaps. And I could imagine, you know, this is not in the Bible, but I could imagine if I was an ancient Israelite, I would, this would be so hard for me to comprehend. This would be so foreign to my way of thinking. And so I've kind of posed the ancient Israelite question of what I would ask God. And I think it would be something like this. It'd be like, so hang on, God, are you saying that if I don't do, or if we don't do all we can do, you're going to multiply the work that we did do? If we don't do all we can do, if we don't push ourselves to the limit, if we don't create a marginless life, you're going to multiply the work that we do do? Or did do? Do do. Did do? See, so they, they, they would have a question like this, because in their mind, all they knew was a sub-optimal level of normal. Despite the fact they might have trust God, despite the fact that God pulled them out of slavery, had done nothing but, but instilled trust in that culture, they were stuck in this suboptimal way of, of working and living their lives for so long. And so they had an issue and they pushed back against God. And the thing for you and the thing for I is, is that when we look at this scenario, when we hear this story... Uh, Whether you take it as real or not real, when we look at this and we pull it apart, we look at that and we go, you know what? I could actually see that what God was trying to do was to set the Israelites up for success. I could see that he was trying to benefit them. Yet in our own lives, what we do is we go, oh, no, 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 no. I see what he was doing there, but in my life, it wouldn't work. In my life, I still need to work 16 hours a day. I still need to work on the, live on the margins of my finances. I still need to push my relationships to the edge. I still do all these things because you know, I'm kind of afraid. It, it's cool for them, but it doesn't work for me. And whatever your justification for why your normal isn't working, whatever you tell yourself or whatever helps the cognitive dissonance set in, you're really not going to like what Jesus has to say next. Uh, mainly because when I was looking at it, I didn't like it too much. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, so do not worry about these things. You know, when you're stressed and you're afraid, do not worry about that. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Now, I'd like to grab Jesus at this, at this point and shake him and go, Jesus, do you know the pressures that I'm under? Do you know the financial burdens that I'm under? Do you know what is going on in my life? And you're telling me not to worry? Chances are some of you are thinking like, this Jesus guy is crazy. Telling me not to worry. If he had the same issues that I have, he'd want to worry. And he goes on, he says, for the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. And Jesus is drawing this dichotomy here between the way the pagans lived. Because in that, in that day and age, in, in the, the Greeks you know, and the Romans, they worshiped the gods like Zeus and Apollos, and Aphrodite. These were gods who didn't really care about human affairs, but they were gods who sat up there in heaven and fought amongst themselves. And it was the people's job to appease the gods so that they wouldn't have famine and they wouldn't have natural disasters. And the gods would maybe, if they felt inclined, look favorably upon them. And Jesus is saying, your heavenly father is a God who created you, is a God who designed you, and is a God who cares for you personally. And is a God who sets these up, not to make you do something so he won't get angry at you, but he sets them up so that you can trust in him and you can see that he wants to give something to you. He doesn't want to take anything away from you. He wants to create a new normal. And if you're a follower of Jesus... Imagine what life would look like if you woke up tomorrow and you actually believed that your heavenly Father was going to supply all your needs. Imagine if you peeled back your schedule and you trusted that God would work in the eight or nine hours that you worked that day. What if you peeled back your finances and and believed that God would still provide for all your needs and still you lived within your financial margins? What would your relationships look like if you actually believe that your heavenly Father wants to care for you and actually cares about your needs? Listen to the final way that Jesus sums up this statement. He says, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you. In other words, something or someone, and this applies to everyone, whether you follow Jesus or not, something or someone will determine the cadence that you go through life at. Something or someone in your life will determine your limits because believe it or not, we all have limits. We're all human. There is all a point that we get to where we hit the red and we cannot go anymore. Something or someone will determine your cadence and will determine your limit. And you have the opportunity to begin to trust your Heavenly Father or begin to set a cadence in your life where you actually make the choices that you can live a life that sustains. And I know maybe some of you are thinking, oh, I'll just deal with that later. I'll just push back against that. Well, in my line of work, people don't ever really call me to tell me things are going great. And no one kind of just calls, calls, calls Chris up and go, hey, Chris, just, just calling to tell you I had a great weekend. Everything is fine. We don't get those kind of calls. People people call me, or people call our team and call the pastors when everything is going downhill, when everything is, is spiraling out of control, or when people, they're really desperate for help. And that's okay, that's what we're here for. But here's the thing I've observed, is that when people's marriages are falling apart, all of a sudden, the time they didn't have to invest on the front end, they've all, all of a sudden got heaps of time to invest on the back end. All of a sudden, when people's schedules push them to burnout, push them to anxiety, push them to depression. The things that they didn't have time to deal with on the front end, they've all of a sudden got heaps and heaps of time to deal with on the back end. When people are pushed to their limits and pushed out of their financial margins, when they just kept saying, it'll be fine, we'll worry about that later, we'll worry about that loan later, just get another credit card, it'll be fine, the bank will pay for it. When all of a sudden, They owed a whole heap of money. All of a sudden, they got really concerned about their finances. And so, over this series, we want to give you the opportunity to begin to set a cadence and a a set of cadence through life that you can live at and you can sustain so that you can live at optimal efficiency. Because someone or something will determine the cadence that you live your life at. Uh, We're going to invite the the keys back up. But um, we have this thing as we wrap up. We have this thing at Beyond called Four Monday because uh, we believe um, that there's no point in coming to church on Sunday if it's not helpful or it doesn't impact you for Monday. And um, <clears throat> the For Monday I've got this week is in the form of a question. And chances are, this is a little bit of homework, chances are you will do this in 15 seconds. You don't need any help figuring this out. But I want you, I want you to ask yourself this question. What do you pass as normal that you know isn't working? What do you pass in your life as normal that you know isn't working. Chances are you've already got it. You don't, you don't need to go home and think, this is, not, this is not one of those things that you go, mm, I wonder what isn't working in my life. This is so hard for me. No, we know those areas of our life where we're working in a suboptimal cadence. And maybe for some of you, it's not your entire life. Maybe it's just one area of your life. Well, I'm gonna challenge you, whatever it is that you think, join us for part two. Over the next three weeks, we're gonna look at time, money and relationships so i'm going to unpack this idea that normal isn't working and how we can begin to set a cadence in our life that allows us to go through optimally efficient let's pray father help us to trust you well for those of us who are followers of jesus it is uh, so easy for us just to go uh, about our lives and and to almost live our lives as if you don't exist say that we've got control and and when someone points it out to us, to say, "Ah, yeah, but I'm afraid that if I change, Lord, draw us back to you. Help us to trust. Help us to trust that you do know our needs, that you created us and you know us intimately and you want what's best for us. You want us to be able to function for a sustainable amount of time in life, Lord. You don't want us burning out and, and pushing into the ground. And Heavenly Father, maybe for people here tonight who aren't followers of Jesus and maybe this is just all new to them. Lord, I pray that you would begin to speak to them about ways in which they're not living their lives at an optimal efficiency. To where the cadence is just spinning way out of control. They feel like their whole life is like climbing up the steepest mountain that they've ever climbed and and they're just grinding away behind the gears and they just just don't know where the end is in sight. Father, I pray that they would maybe begin to think about trusting you or begin to think about what it is in their lives that needs to change. That we would be a a people that trust that you set these laws up not to keep us from something but because you want to bless us and because you want us to go through life in a sustainable way. Father, help us over the next four weeks to create a new normal, to create a normal that actually works. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.